you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. of caution. I've had COVID this week, I, uh, and I'm better, much better, um, but I'm going to remain distant and, you know, hang out here and just um, go from there. And so we brought Marshall, so if you need to hug somebody, you can hug Marshall this morning <laughs> because he smells better than me most of the time anyway, and um, I should know. It's right. I, it is true. Yeah, I know, I know that. So grateful that, that uh, we've been able to do this today. We're beginning the sermon series swap. And I was downtown this morning, and Taylor Zimmerman, our offerings preacher, preached downtown. I'm out here. Carol Cooper's at offerings, and we'll just keep swapping around. So you'll never know who's here until you get here on Sunday morning, but you won't want to miss any of it. It's, uh, this sermon series is so good. Downtown, we've called it basics. Here you call it dogma doctrine and beliefs. So I had to look up what dogma means and I still haven't figured it out. And um, so if you let me know point. Sarah is back tomorrow. So, or no, she's back Tuesday. I'm getting my days ahead. So Sarah will be back. Jeremiah will be back on Friday. And in the meantime, Darren's just been handling everything, including sound and anything else that comes up. So, so appreciative of them. And of course, Janelle, Janelle and I are the two longest-serving employees at First United Methodist Church. I just have you by a couple, maybe not even just a few months, probably. So, but uh, always appreciate Janelle. The, uh, the sermon series are based on the catechesis questions. And in your bulletin is the catechesis question that we're going to examine for today. Catechesis just simply means resound or echo. So I'm going to read it, and you're going to read me the answer. If you get it right, the sermon's over. If not, we need to keep... No, it's not. It doesn't work that way at all. Question 2.1. Can you... This is a test. Can you repeat the first verse of the Bible? Answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is awesome. I'm going to go ahead and preach, but you probably don't need it today at all. So, so grateful for you. Introductions in a group of people um, are hard for introverts. Can I just say that? Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, is there any place that you would rather not be as an introvert than in a large group of people that you need to introduce yourself to? It's not that we don't love people. We do love people. We do. We love introverts. Love people. I keep saying that. I don't think they believe it. Introverts <laughs> love people. It's just, it's just hard to introduce ourselves. And so, but I have it figured out. You want to hear how this goes? Hi, my name is Todd. And then I just pause, and I hope they pick up on my awkwardness and like be fill in the blanks and help me out. Because if not, it gets really bad. Usually they do. Usually like, oh, my name's so-and-so. And 
then invariably it begins and it gets around to what do you do and usually I'm like not much it, it just is that's the way or maybe I'll say I work for about an hour a week if it's a good gig if you can get it you know that's gotten me into some places I don't want to go again so I'm changing my strategy and it's changed to this I work for a nonprofit that works that truly I work for a nonprofit I mean, I could just say that, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's great. Well, what kind of nonprofit? A really old nonprofit in the city of Lexington. <laughs> or, and I'm trying this out, you let me know. So, what do you do for a living? I'm a life coach. I like, you don't like that one? I like that one. I'm a life coach. I think that could hold real possibilities for me. I get it. You need to have some questions and answers just so that you simply at some point can have establish a relationship because they need to know a little bit about you and you need to know a little bit about them. I am going someplace this morning. That's the way our faith journey is too. We need to know something about God. And here's the kicker. God already knows everything that is necessary about us. But we don't know everything that is necessary about us. Self-knowledge is one of the incredibly important aspects of faith building. And don't just believe me, I did a little research this week and I've got a host of people who would agree with me. Augustine, that is the, that is the correct way to pronounce it. Augustine is a grass, Augustine is the patriarch. But Augustine said, thank you, thank you. I've been working on that one all week, and I, was, and I get to do it two more times. I'm so excited about that. Here's what Augustine said. How can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? He prays, grant, Lord, that I may know myself so that I may know thee. I love that. Meister Eckhart, 14th century Catholic German theologian. No one can know God who does not know himself. John Calvin, just in case you were thinking it's all the Catholic mystics, it's reformers too. Our wisdom consists entirely of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. And it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. Thomas Akempis, a humble self-knowledge is a surer way to God than a search after deep learning. That's profound. Saint Teresa of Avila, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. We need to know who we are. We need to have an understanding of our identity, and that has become a major thing in our culture, in our society, about our identity. And I think it's an important question, I'm glad it's getting asked, because invariably, who we are and understanding who we are will lead us to a deeper faith connection and lead us to a different, a different aspect of love, a, a deeper love with one another. So we need to explore who we are. We need to explore what our identity is. And you have come today 
just to look at Genesis 1 and 2, didn't you? You said that before you got here. You're like, please, let us go through all of Genesis 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1. And we're going to go through the creation accounts. I, I did say accounts. That's plural. There's actually two that are most people agree. I think there could be up to three creation accounts. Three stories, three narratives that help us understand where we've come from so we'll know who we are in order to deepen our faith journey. The first creation account, you have already said this morning, you have that, and just check it off your list. It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that's the Spark Notes version. We don't need to know anything else, do we? Who did it? What happened? God created the heavens and the earth. Absolutely. The second creation story is the one that we're probably very familiar with. It's the one that includes the days. It starts at Genesis 1, 2 and goes through Genesis 2, 3. And in it, we get not only who did it, which is still God, and what God did, which is all of creation, but we get the how. And the how often is what we get stumped on. So the second creation story says there were days. And at the beginning of the days, God would speak and he'd divide things. The day from the night, the water from the dry land. And as the days began to unfold, creation began to appear. And the culmination of the creation story of the second creation account is the creation of humanity. And when God has done that, God takes a step back. And God takes a nap. Well, it's Sabbath. I take naps on Sabbath. I'm sure God did something restorative. So this is the second creation account. We get a who, God. We get a what. And we get a little bit of the how. And you're probably going to wonder, is he going to get to, did God do it in seven days? Or is it seven billion? Or is it something in the middle? I've actually preached that sermon from this pulpit before. And here's my take. I don't know. I don't know. Could it have been seven 24-hour days? My understanding of God's omnipotence does not preclude that. I think God can do whatever God wants to do. And so if 24-hour days is what God has allotted himself to work in, so be it. But I'm also not afraid of science. I'm not also, I'm not afraid that the science that we have been giving ourselves to, the discoveries, they actually lead us to God, not away from God. And so if it was some big bang that took multiple billions of years, if that's what God decided, so be it. Could God have done it any way God decided? Absolutely. Brings us to the third a creation account, which starts in Genesis 2-4. And we don't get days, we just get this clump of days. Anybody else? I think COVID has just been a clump of days. I don't remember months or anything. It's just like this all happened at once. And what happens in the third creation account is that God begins with man, not humanity, man, i.e. Adam. And begins to build around Adam. Well, Adam needs a place to live. Let's build a garden. Adam needs things to eat. Let's provide fruit. Adam needs a partner. And the culmination of the third creation account 
is the create, creation of woman. Now, I don't make this stuff up. I just call it like I see it. But that's the, cre- the culmination. And then this relationship takes place that they're in the garden. And the third creation account ends with them being completely in harmony and peace with one another and with God. A perfect story and a perfect ending. God as creator is the place where it all begins. It's a lens that you can look at the entire scripture and get a sense of what's going on. Sometimes we refer to it as God as father. A creative, a parent figure. The Wesleyan movement and our theology begins with God as Father, period. Now, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. You can sometimes look at it as God as King, and that would be appropriate. God as Redeemer, absolutely. God as Lord, yes. God even as friend. But we start with God as Heavenly Father. And from there, we build our theology. And I realized from the get-go that sometimes... Even the word father can be discomforting. We can begin to push back if our relationship with our own father hasn't been all that we had hoped it would be. So let me just go ahead and say now that God is a perfect parent. If you'd prefer to think every time I say father, you insert the word parent, go right ahead. It changes nothing. It changes nothing. For God is the creative one. It was his idea design, power, and maintaining. So what does it mean for God to be Father? What sort of things come out of that that we need to know about in order to have self-discovery, know more about who we are and what it looks like? Well, the first is that as God is Father, that means God is the initiator. God's the initiator of all things, of all things. Have you ever worried about missing it? Have you ever worried about missing it? I, I, I've just missed it. Something, this life is going to pass me by and I'm not going to get it. You don't have to worry about that. For God initiates everything. Initiates salvation. Initiates the forgiveness. Initiates the relationships. Initiates your gifts and passions. We don't have to worry about missing out on anything. For God's the one who initiates. So if you this morning are stuck in a pattern of, am I missing it? Is there something else? Let me just assure you that God's not going to let you miss it. God's always the initiator. God's not going to stop now initiating. That's what good parents do. But we have a role to play. God initiates, God's the heavenly parent, father, but we are allowed agency. We're allowed to be a part of what's going on and and to be a co-worker. John Wesley said that all of theology really gets down to stewardship. So that's what I want to talk about, the budget this morning. So, no. I promise I'm not talking about the budget this morning. Stewardship is a lot bigger than money, and yet it encompasses money. Stewardship is about our time and our talents, our resources, our time, our passions. If God is the divine initiator, 
And our response is one of stewardship. What has God given? What do we do about it? God initiates, allows us to respond in stewardship. As any good parent, God's also a discipliner. We don't like to talk about that one, but Proverbs is pretty clear. Hebrews 12.6 says God disciplines those who God loves. You see, there is a path, there is a way forward, and God's not afraid to help us stay on that path. Sometimes our conscience can be that which God uses. Anybody else had their conscience trouble them while you were doing something and just wondered, why is that? That is the grace of God saying, whoa, whoa, you're about to run off the cliff. How about backing it up here while you still have a chance? I love that God is willing to discipline me. Believe me, you know me well enough, I need it. I'm so glad that he's just not leaving me out, let me do what I want. But he sent the Holy Spirit to walk next to me, to be my encourager, yes, and to be that person who disciplines me. The final thing we'll talk about this morning is that God is Father we're made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. We're made in God's image. We're made to be creative beings. We're made to be people who love, who are gifted. We have a place in this world. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Jan read it for us a few minutes ago. Ephesians 2 begins to talk about God as a God as the heavenly parent in ways that I think are really helpful. Let me read it again because it's been a couple of minutes and if you're like me, you know, after about two minutes I need to be reminded. Ephesians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way. God has made us. Did you catch that? Our identity, who we are, isn't something that we make up. It's not something that we get to choose. It's something that is handed to us by the one who's created us. It is revealed. And that's an important place to start. And I think those questions about identity are absolutely important. But I think the place to start is even more important. That is, what has God said about who we are and what we're about? See, God gives that gift of identity. You are who you are because God has created you, has handed you these gifts. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's move forward in this passage where it says, not only does God give us identity, God gives us a purpose. Show me someone who is living out their purpose. I'll show you someone who has joy 
and peace and patience. Sometimes we call living out our purpose, living out our calling. What has God created us for? And the Ephesians passage says what God has created us to do. And that is to be people of good works. I think sometimes we make it way overcomplicated about how do we live a good life? How do we live on purpose? We do things for others. It's pretty simple. We don't have to complicate it. And I think there's three areas of our lives that we can begin to look at and examine and say, am I using and utilizing this area of my life to help others? First is your gifts and your passions. What are you gifted to do? What are you passionate about? And if you don't know, ask someone else, because they'll tell you. Sometimes the last person to know is you about what you're good at. Ask someone else. They'll tell you what you're good at. And then as we understand our gifts and our passions, what are we doing with them? How are they furthering the common good? I think sometimes can be common good can be about making a paycheck, yes. But often it's not about making a paycheck. It's about making the world better. Our gifts and our passions do that. The second is, I think, really overlooked. God's planted you in Lexington, Kentucky, most of you in the 40509 zip code. The place you are is the place where God wants to use you. What are the needs of your neighbors? The ones on your right and your left. What are their names? Yeah, it gets uncomfortable for me too. God's planted us in the midst of a place. He doesn't want us to overcomplicate it. There's people all around us who are desperate to know that God loves them, that God has something for them, and will stop at nothing. God will. And so he's put you there. He said, you're there for a common good. See a need and meet it. And the third is a people. God gives us gifts, God gives us a place, and God gives us a people. And perhaps that people is people that you share a last name with or a common identity. Perhaps it's the people you work with. Maybe it's the folks you shop with at Kroger. There are people in your life that are desperate for God's love. And God's placed you and placed me in the middle of everybody just for that reason. Let's don't overcomplicate it. You don't have to go to a foreign land to fulfill God's purposes. Sometimes God calls you to do that. Often God calls you to cross the street. And if we'll be faithful in that, I'm convinced what God's about to do in the city and beyond, we can't even ask, imagine, or even dream. It all begins with our identity, though. We have a Heavenly Father, all of us, who has given us an identity, and one that if we embrace fully, will begin to lead us in directions that only He has for us. I know this about you. I know this about your identity. 
I pray that you would hear it this morning. You are a person who is loved. Not just liked. Not just put up with. But loved. Your Heavenly Father wants to see you thrive. Not just scrape by to get to the other side. But thrive. I know that about you. That is who you are. Your Heavenly Father has forgiven you. You are forgiven. Your past does not hold you hostage. You are forgiven. You're freed. You can go about the country. Do what you want. Yesterday, it's done. I have this recurring dream that I'm in front of Jesus. And I'm telling Jesus all the things I have messed up in life. Like, Lord, I'm so sorry for that. I'm so sorry for that. I'm so sorry. And Jesus, Jesus looks at me and says, what are you talking about? I not only forgive, I forget. You've been carrying that. Forgive yourself. Move on. I know that you are forgiven. I pray that you would know that too. I know that you are counted on because you have value. God has a place, a people, and a gifting that wants to use you. And it's not this overbearing of you better get used or not. It's an invitation. It says, come on with me. There's things that you can do. There's people that you can see. There's differences that you can make. And finally, your identity is a person who God will never give up on. Let me say that again. God is never going to give up on you. Never. Now, there may be times where we want God to give up. Can you just let this go already, Lord? But He's not. God's not going to leave you behind. God's not going to put you out. God's never going to give up on you. That is who you are. And I pray that that identity would become more and more part of our reality. We are loved, forgiven, valued, and a people who God will never give up on. It'll change everything when we begin to see God as that kind of Father. Gracious and most holy Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your love in our lives. Hear us, Lord, as we pray. Hear us as we cry out to you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.